people are really obsessed with your IQ. Mm-hmm. And I noticed all sorts of figures flying around about your IQ. Time Magazine said it was 180. Uh, That's centimeter. Centimeter. <laughs> I am 180 centimeters. <laughs> well, I think they were referring to your IQ, not your height. Uh, Haaretz in Israel said it was 160 or higher. Why are so many places speculating about your IQ? There really is no telling above 160. Mm-hmm. So the, the test stops being effective after that. Okay, but that explains how the test works, not why people are obsessed with guessing your IQ or documenting it. What's that about? Yeah, because when it's unbounded, there's unbounded room for speculation. Audrey Tang, world-acclaimed genius, is also a hacktivist, a software engineer who protested the Taiwanese government and then joined it as the first non-binary and openly transgender cabinet member in the world. And one of Audrey's guiding principles is a bit of a wild one. You may or may not agree. It's entirely justified that we trust our citizens. Not maybe, certainly. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today... Audrey Tang is the Digital Minister of Taiwan. They helped engineer what may be the world's most lauded response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We discuss how they did it, the platform they created to help democratize Taiwan's fragile democracy, and how their personal identity is a metaphor for the way they publicly lead. I am literally non-binary and not just in gender but in everything. I can't feel that half of population is right and half of population is wrong. It's kind of impossible for me to feel this way. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Before we get started, I want to make a suggestion about how to listen to this episode. One of my producers said that she wished she was smoking a joint during the conversation with Audrey Tong, which is to say, you don't have to pull out a blunt. I'm not telling you to do that. But what I want you to do is be primed for a mind bender. We are going to walk into the future and the past. We are going to question fundamentals of democracy, gender, human nature, starting with childhood. I was born with a heart condition that would prevent me from feeling upset, I guess, too angry or too excited, and then I just Mm. faint. So uh, my parents taught me that was breathing techniques very early on as a survival technique. Wow. You had to learn Taoist breathing and meditation techniques to control your heart rate. Mm-hmm. And so as a, like as a small child, you learned you just can't have extreme emotions? Yeah. Um, so I'm born with the condition. So by the time I have memory, 
around four or five, I already practiced that breathing technique because otherwise I wouldn't exist to remember, right? Uh, and mm. although I got the heart surgery when I was 12 in 1993, that stuck with me. So mm. I, I've never really feel too excited around the drama in my life more than 40 years now although i did of course purposefully take roller coasters and so on after i got a heart surgery just to oh, feel wow. how it feels like uh but still i find myself just breathing uh, on a roller coaster it's already natural automatic so you didn't feel extreme excitement on the roller coaster probably not as much as other people do i see was that hard for you to learn starting as a four or five-year-old how to control your emotions i don't know any other way because my body tells me if i got it wrong if i got it wrong the next instant i'll be in a icu or something did that happen to you ever going to the icu because you felt too much yes uh i remember when i was eight in the second grade the person who placed second on an exam right after an exam very strongly said to me that if I cease to exist, he will be the top in the class. Because mm. you had placed first. Uh, yes, okay. implied, yes. Mm. So, so it was not strictly speaking bullying. Uh, they would, of course, kind of hit me a, a couple months later. But at that time, it, it was not practically speaking physical assault is what I'm saying. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just that they feel very strongly about this, this comparison. And the intensity was so much that I tried to say something. I couldn't come up with words. And the next instant, uh, I know I'm already uh, at the care of the nurse in the school. Wow. And so that's the kind of thing you had to learn to not feel? No, 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 not like that. So after I did get bullied, I quit school uh, for a semester and I read up Piaget, uh, Montessori, Satya, uh, many child psychologists' writings. And I want to feel, but not my feeling, their feeling, why he would feel this way. And then put it in my own words that I now understand that he will get punished because his parents care about a kind of relative status instead of internal competency or the voluntary love of knowledge. So their self-esteem is linked to something very fragile. You were how old when you read The Psychologist? Uh, eight. You were eight. Mm -hmm. And so you were bullied? And after leaving the infirmary, one of your survival techniques mm -hmm. was to research psychology mm -hmm. to teach you to be empathetic to the bully, mm -hmm. to help you even out your own emotions for your survival. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm impressed and my heart's breaking for that eight-year-old. Thank you. Who were your parents that their reaction to their child being bullied was, let's read this and mm -hmm. grow from it? Uh, well, they're both journalists. 
and they oh that explains it no, they, I'm just <laughs> yeah they they believe in <laughs> research and uh, speaking truth to power right <laughs> was democratizing they never really imposed the kind of as I mentioned relative status based education hmm. on my self esteem uh, they always encouraged me to reflect to empathize. And also, if I want the bullying to stop, not just for myself, uh, for everyone. So they encouraged me to research into education theory, pedagogy, and my parents were there all the way. Audrey dropped out of high school and became a serial tech entrepreneur. And Audrey came into government from the outside as a protester. In 2014, a group of Taiwanese students fought guards and kicked down doors to enter the national parliament. The protesters wanted the government to cancel a new trade agreement with China. China. Which was passed without the knowledge of Congress. The protesters said the deal was secretive, made in darkness, not sunlight. They became known as the Sunflower Movement. Occupying Congress to oppose a trade pact between Taiwan and China. Audrey took a leadership role, helping the protesters broadcast their message. We were like sitting in the middle of the Congress and holding our hands together. Ultimately, the government and protesters made concessions to each other. And in a peculiar move, Taiwan's prime minister invited Audrey Tang, the civic activist, to enter government. Audrey, then 34, became an advisor to senior cabinet officials. From there, Audrey rose up the ranks to become the Digital Minister of Taiwan. Hello, I'm Audrey Tang, Taiwan's Digital Minister. Really happy to share with friends around the world about our digital democracy. So now let's talk, Audrey, about your role as Digital Minister in Taiwan. And I want to talk about it first by understanding the way you think, the way you see. And when I speak to people who are technologists, as you are, who are building digital life as opposed to physical life, I like to understand the analogies. Like, for example, if Facebook were a place in the physical world, what kind of place would it be? What's the analogy? Um, it's a nightclub uh, in the nightlife district. People get rousy addictive drinks, uh, shout to get heard, <laughs> private bouncers, uh, smoke field room, you name it. I see. It's a nightclub. Uh-huh. Okay. What about TikTok? I have not used TikTok. You haven't used TikTok? can't really answer that. Yeah. Oh, I would have assumed you'd, you'd consider it part of your homework. I know. I, I've seen short videos shared by people in TikTok. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I can't really understand something without a surrounding context. Mm. Uh, and TikTok is a little bit too short for that. Mm, it's like anti-context. Uh, <laughs> context-free, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. And now let's move on to V Taiwan. Uh-huh. That's the online platform you help build, Audrey, for uh-huh. Taiwanese citizens to weigh in on public policies. It is your signature social app. What's the physical world analogy? 
um, a town hall or a conference with no fixed agenda. So I would say it is a town hall, but it's not a town hall in session. It's a town hall after session where people was just catching up uh, with the latest kind of shared feelings of their polity. So if you need to describe it in one word, then maybe, I don't know, Acropolis. Explain. Uh, Acropolis, it's a, a high city in Greece, in, mm-hmm. in Athens. Oh, Acropolis. Acropolis, sure. Acropolis, yes. Yeah. Acropolis, if I understand it correctly, uh, mm-hmm. is not entirely a district, so to speak. It is rather a place mm-hmm. for people who want to have uh, latest conversations and so on about self-governance, about the political decisions and things like that. And then people trade uh, not in goods, but rather in the um, shared understandings of what's going on in the policy. Mm, Where democracy comes to hang out. Mm -hmm. That's the image that I'm getting as you describe it. Yes. VTaiwan is a crowdsourcing platform where the thing that's crowdsourced is laws. If you're a Taiwanese citizen and say you get super heated about an issue, you don't need to hop on Twitter and protest. You can hop on VTaiwan and offer your position. Then your fellow citizens can upvote you or downvote you. And government officials will follow the debate and run with the ideas that rise to the top. Let's take a real-world example. Remember that huge debate over Uber? Is Uber a taxi? Are drivers employees or gig workers? Who's responsible if there's an accident? Well, Taiwan had the exact same debate, but they had it faster on VTaiwan. Citizens went to VTaiwan to offer positions and upvote ideas they liked. And it did not devolve into a total cesspool because of some very smart design choices. Other people can't reply to you. They can't troll you. But they can't Mm. say uh, they resonate, agree, or disagree. Mm. And you see your Facebook and Twitter and other friends on this two-dimensional canvas. If they agree, they move a little bit closer to you. If they disagree, they move a little bit farther away. But then they can also propose their own feelings. So it's a map where we're each a dot and the software moves you on that on that map according to what you're saying. That's that's exactly correct. Uh, I see. And there's a scoreboard. Yeah. A scoreboard. So uh-huh. a scoreboard is in people can score higher than other people? That's right. Um, uh-huh. We show in Clusters, meaning groups of people with similar feelings, which ideas and feelings resonate the most within that group. And then we show globally with all the participants which feelings resonate across all groups. That's the two scoreboards. So it's in a way, it's like tech 3.0 voting where no one's casting a vote. They're just expressing their ideas and that's getting translated into what people seem to be voting for. Yes. I see. You said a minute ago that there's no reply button, no trolling. Mm-hmm. And you equated replying and trolling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Explain. Um, by definition, any policy discussion is about the feelings and ideas. 
It's not about who said what. So、mm. although you can participate pseudonymously or with your real name,、uh, but there's no way for anyone to start to flame to attack any particular person.、Uh, the only choice is to resonate or not. You can't start a focused conversation around the person instead of the topic. Wow, that's interesting. It's like antithetical to the majority of platforms I'm on. And why is it designed that way? We want to focus on the rough consensus or good enough consensus, and good enough consensus comes when people actually listened to one another. But、mm. if we start to do personal attacks. Naturally, the things that gets most people's attention are drama.、Uh, that is to say, <laughs>、uh, things that elicit an immediate outrage or something. Did you、uh, see what she said? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> drama, right?、Uh, so、uh-huh. by taking away the reply button, it becomes a kind of drama-free environment. Interesting. And so, like. If this were a platform that existed to make money for investors,、mm-hmm. that would be bad because, like, drama gets people more active and engaged, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, do people stay interested enough without the drama?、Uh, so, if you score high on a scoreboard, you feel elated as making a viable contribution to the conversation because the cabinet, the minister, pre-committed already agreed to. Hold a conversation with Uber and taxi company unions using the highest leaders on the global scoreboard as the agenda, and that、mm. is a purpose motive, not a drama motive. But it's also <laughs> fun because it literally just takes a couple minutes or even twenty seconds to start seeing yourself making a difference. A purpose motive, not a drama motive.、Mm-hmm. As in, maybe the minister, if enough people are vibing with what I have to say, is going to take the comment I originated directly to these real-world companies in a real-life conversation.、Mm-hmm. Uh, not maybe, certainly. You just came up with that? It's not my idea. I think it came from Seattle, from Colin Magill and his friends, and they were inspired. By I think Occupy movements、uh, around that time. Yeah, Audrey, I'm listening to this, and I'm like literally thinking about all the moments that I'm on Twitter when I should not be on Twitter,、mm-hmm. and I'm feeling like heavy in my heart because there's this massive thing that's happening that we should care about, and、mm-hmm. then various influencers have tweeted things, and then it's becoming about what he said or she said,、mm-hmm. and no one、mm-hmm. cares anymore about the massive thing. Now it's like the attack of personalities. And I was actually literally just talking to my producers about this dynamic, and just how much it sucks.、Mm-hmm. And it's all because of the reply button, huh? So why doesn't Twitter get rid of the reply button? I don't know. It's a Twitter question. If you had to guess, sure. You were not a spokesperson for Twitter. Noted. If you had to guess, if I had to guess, I would say that it's. Counterintuitive, really. It's not very straightforward to think about people coming to internet for purpose, for civic life, for public decision making, because of the mobile phone and the small screen that it brings to us. 
we're getting very, I would say, accustomed to, if not addicted to, the, the drama mode, the instant outrage mode. So much so that when people start new businesses, they would not naturally think of a town hall-like space in their design. Mm. You know, Audrey, if I was abstractly talking to somebody and they were mm-hmm. like, oh, we should just get rid of the reply button because it's a trolling mm-hmm. mechanism, mm-hmm. I'd probably like either physically or in my mind, roll my eyes a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? But you're telling me of something you actually built where you did that and it worked. Yeah, and it worked reliably. There's 26 laws or regulations uh, that was facilitated using this process. We passed in 2016, so just the year after we started the conversation, the Diversified Taxi Act and everybody saw it coming. So for the past few years now, Uber is a legal taxi company in Taiwan, but the other taxi companies are also benefiting from the digital dispatch. Audrey. (laughs) I'm listening to this. And I'm thinking about a very similar battle we had here in the state of California. Legislators stewed for years about the gig economy and then successfully passed a bill to regulate them. Then Uber and other lobbyists immediately undid that bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? I mean, there's basically no progress. Yeah, in 2016, maybe the, the one sentence that convinced me to join full time to the cabinet was uh, President Dr. Tsai Ing-wen's inauguration speech for her first term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, before we think of democracy as a showdown between two opposing sides, but now democracy must become a conversation between many diverse values, a, a plurality. And it's quite poetic, uh, speaks to me. And by far, I think, If all you have is a low bandwidth ballot every four years, then it's quite natural to think that democracy fails because it always results in showdowns. But if people can participate day to day and contribute a lot more, higher bandwidth, lower latency, lower time to wait, then I believe it could be a conversation to a plurality. Fewer showdowns, more conversations. Mm-hmm. You got a magic pill for us? Something you think we in the U.S. can do to be more like that? Mm, so vote more, like um, every hour or something. Every hour? Yeah, take uh, the time and attention you spend on Twitter uh, into the civic life. After the break, Audrey explains how Taiwan navigated the first months of the pandemic without a single lockdown and offers a solution to outrage-based politics. If we want people to out-innovate the government, we need to trust the citizens to say, okay, they see the numbers the same time as we do. We're all in this data fabric together. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani.
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, Art of Power listeners. We are starting a new feature this season. Ask Arthi anything. Are you trying to change your career? Figure out what to major in in college? Unsure how to fund a bold new project? Write us at artofpower at wbez.org about the specific problem you are navigating. I, along with my incredible guests, will help you and potentially feature you in an upcoming episode. Again, that's artofpower at wbez.org. America has one of the highest COVID death rates in the world, 283 deaths for every 100,000 people. Taiwan has one of the lowest death rates on earth, less than four for every 100,000. And no, Taiwan is much more densely populated than the U.S. We look now at a COVID-19 success story. Many countries around the world battle second, even third waves of the coronavirus. Life in Taiwan appears near normal. The COVID miracle was not the result of some crazy strict lockdown. In fact, Taiwan's restaurants stayed open. Nightlife raged on. So did marathons. To understand what happened, let's revisit an app, actually multiple apps, that Audrey Tang helped build just a few days into the global pandemic. It's not my idea. It's not the government's idea. It started by people who feel strongly about, say, that they need to know which pharmacies near them still have masks in stock instead Mm -hmm. of queuing for hours in vain. I know we in the U.S. are fighting about wearing masks, but you may recall back in spring 2020, a lot of us were freaked out about how to get our hands on a mask. Citizens in Taiwan told their government, we don't want to run to the local pharmacy and stand on a crowded line just to find out the masks are sold out and maybe we got COVID while waiting. I call this the reverse procurement, meaning the citizens have an idea and they demand the government provides the data to let their idea flourish. Audrey, as the digital minister, stepped in to coordinate the rationing of medical grade masks and tracking where they're available in real time. So the information we provide is that as you're queuing in line, there's a published ledger that every 30 seconds updates the real-time availability of masks in the pharmacies around Taiwan. Because the pharmacy is uploading that information or because the people purchasing are? Most pharmacies have fiber optic dropping connection to the National Health Insurance uh, Administration because we have universal care, uh, health care. And then uh, that updates the inventory. So the health administration publishes it in about 30 seconds. I see. So every time someone swipes their magical universal healthcare card and they get a mask, the pharmacy logs that sale, which is data that gets fed into the app. That's food chain. The fact that your entire country can then see every 30 seconds where masks are available, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what does that do for people? It relieves the speculation, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. 
the rumors that says there's Musk hoarded this place or that place, those rumors become unsustainable because people can see very clearly our production volume, which very quickly became more than 20 millions per day. The rationing mm. also increased. So from like two pieces per week to three and then to, I think, nine per two weeks and so on. And now, of course, it's unlimited. And so people can see it's distributed in a fair way. Trust. Audrey is talking about how to build trust amidst crisis. Audrey's team decided an app is not enough. Humans need human contact. So they also organized a national hotline, 1922. Volunteers answered the phones. Callers had a range of complaints. For instance, people in the countryside could not get masks as easily as a person in a big city. They take much more time to take a bus to the nearby pharmacy. So we need to redistribute using pre-ordering and also time-based, not distance-based calculation of equity and so on. So it's a feedback learning process. But instead of complaining, people know that if they're using the data, point out the bias, they get corrected in a week. Every Thursday, we change the distribution algorithm. Some calls into 1922 were less dire. There was a young boy that called 1922 saying, you're rationing our mask. I got a mask, but they're all pink. The pharmacy only gives me pink ones. And I mean, <laughs> boy, I don't want to wear it to school. All the boys in my class have blue masks. Do something about it. It's a bias. Uh, and then the very next day on the 2 p.m. live stream conference, the Minister of Health and Welfare and everyone, all the health officers wore pink, regardless of their gender, uh, and said, you know, Pink Panther was his childhood hero or something. So the boy became here overnight and all the fashion brands painted pink for a couple of weeks. Oh my god, that's adorable. <laughs> and so you put this platform together. It's held up as this amazing historic example. What does it teach you? Um, that it's entirely justified that we trust our citizens. Explain. If we want people to out-innovate the government, because there's limited innovation capability in any organization, mm. we need to trust the citizens to say, okay, they see the numbers the same time as we do. We're not reviewing anything or red-acting anything. We're all in this data fabric together. And then of course, we get complaints that data biases get pointed out and so on. But because we share the same data fabric, we can say, okay, there's something wrong with this. So come up with something better. And people did. Taiwan, like everywhere on the internet, has to deal with conspiracy theories going viral. Audrey digs into one example. It's not related to COVID. It's related to perms, as in hair perms. Taiwan passed a law punishing hair product companies if they fail to warn consumers, hey, don't use this product within a week of a perm, it'll burn your hair. Conspiracy theorists twisted the law to say citizens would get fined if they permed too much. The Taiwanese internet went 
nuts. And so a government task force that includes artists and meme makers got to work. They had the premier of the country, their prime minister, put out two pictures of himself side by side. In one, he's a young man with thick, permeable hair. And in the other, he's a balding middle-aged man. And then uh, he said, the rumor is false. I used to have hair. We would never punish people who perm their hair. But if you do perm your hair many times a week, it will not damage your bank account, but it will damage your hair. Your hair may you know, become like my hairstyle. Okay. Right. <laughs> I just can't imagine this working in the U.S. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like, I feel like if we saw President Joe Biden try to insert himself as a sort of comedic relief to win over conspiracy theorists, I don't think it'd go very far. Okay. Uh but what I'm trying to say is there needs to be already a fabric and the humor over rumor is kind of an application on top of that fabric. So yes, mm-hmm. the fabric need to be there first. Mm-hmm. And so not that it's your job to be an expert on the U.S., it's not at all. But do mm-hmm. you have a take on what's the fabric that's missing here? Mm-hmm. I don't think the U.S. has a shortage of civic technologists. Right. Indeed, the, the idea of civic tech came partly from U.S. Right. But I think what's missing is that there's civic infrastructure. So a few towns on a local level, they're not empowered to take the civic infrastructures they make into public infrastructures. In Taiwan, more than half of the citizens have used the, the mask maps that makes it a public infrastructure, like a highways. Mm. And so the, the leap from civics level into the public infrastructure level, I think that's uh, what needs to be done. Audrey Tang is the world's first non-binary and openly transgender cabinet member though Audrey identifies more as post-gender. What pronoun should I use for you? Whatever. I don't care. You go by either or both? Whatever. Okay, got it. It's not until uh, when I was 12 or 13 that I discovered that I don't develop the same as other boys. Hmm. And later on, I would get my testosterone level checked. And it's also congenital that I have maybe a fraction, less than a quarter of the testosterone level. So somewhere between uh, adolescent male and female, Mm. Uh, like an 80-year-old man is what the doctors told me. So I developed a puberty when I was 13, but not very completely. And then I would later on, through hormonal therapy, go through another puberty for a couple of years when I was 24, 25. Mm. I want to experience the female puberty. I see. And why did you decide you wanted to experience that, if I may ask? Hmm. First of all, because while I was exploring the internet first uh, through the MUD, the multi-user dungeons, I 
learned that gender is not binary. One can literally invent any kind of gender in a multi-user dungeon. So I already had a kind of socialization process on the internet through various different hmm. gender expressions. So I was never kind of confined into uh, a binary script. Hmm. But on the other hand, uh, without getting through the hormonal female puberty, there still are words and ideas that don't directly correlate uh, to my own bodily lived experiences. Uh, the intensity is not there. Mm -hmm. So to kind of fully kind of round out my vocabulary is like learning a foreign language through Duolingo versus actually going to that foreign country. Uh, <laughs> I see. You wanted the immersion. You wanted the intensity. Right, that's right. That's right. I think it's easy to say that I'm a kind of teenage boy. And in my 20-somethings, I identify primarily as a woman. And starting from 30-somethings, I became non-binary. I'm 40 now. I see. And so it was. it had always been your intention when you transition to female, that it's just some clothes I want to try out. It's an identity I want to no, try no, out. No, 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 it's not like, because it's 10 years. 10 years is a long time. Yeah, so, so it's not, I want to try out this clothes for 10 years. I don't think it works like that. Right? Uh, so, but, but I think migrating is a good metaphor, right? Immigration, actually getting residency uh, in another country, mm. but not exactly saying that I'm a citizen of this or that country, uh, but rather I'm, I'm homo sapiens, like we're, we're all citizens of the species, right? You know, Audrey, you've had such powerful personal experiences, you know, your heart mm -hmm. condition as a child, transitioning mm -hmm. as a young adult. Is there a way that these experiences shape who you are as a leader, your public voice? I think it means that I, I am literally non-binary and, and not mm. just in gender, but in everything. I can't feel that half of population is right and half of population is wrong. I can't feel that half of people are closer to me and half of people are the others. It's kind of impossible for me to feel this way. And the reason why is that I've empathized with a lot of very diverse people, listening to their stories, living among them, uh, speaking from their perspectives so that whenever I see a social issue, a policy issue arise, I immediately think who are the missing ones, who are the ones that voice are not getting heard, that I should be living with them for a while. <laughs> right? so, so that's the kind of leadership, if you use that word, that I lead, uh, not by ordering people, not by coercion or violence, but just listening, communication, and art. This ability that you have, what's the power in it? So the, the power is that one can always sense a good enough consensus out of varying positions and then amplify the innovations that are good enough for everyone. 
And once they're good enough for everyone, people strive to make it better instead of to attack each other in a showdown. Mm, so you're wired for conversation, not showdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, comes back full circle. Okay. This principle, this quality of being non-binary, mm-hmm. is that something you think more of us should try doing? I'm sure uh, when uh, Commander Chen Shizhong, our Minister of Health and Welfare, uh, when he put on the pink mask and said Pink Panther was his childhood hero, he became a little bit more non-binary. And that's a very, um, very good experience for everyone involved. Elaborate a little bit. Sure. So remember, it came from a boy that feared that he would be bullied or ridiculed for wearing the rationed pink mask to school. Mm-hmm. And there's a few usual responses to, to this. The usual option would be saying bullying is bad. Please report that as bullying to your teachers. Or saying that the masks are there to protect us. It's not there to express oneself. But instead, the minister put himself to the boy's place and wore a pink mask to his job and said, we're in it. Pink is great. And a mask is not just to protect yourself from your own awashant. It's also a way to express that you love Pink Panther. And that is, um, as the English word, conviviality. People feel more alive after connecting this way. That's what I needed. Conviviality. Mm-hmm. I understand now. Audrey, it has been, I can't say pleasure. It's been like mind-bending, instructive, heart-opening also to speak with you. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful you took the time. Yeah, it, it's a very convivial uh, experience. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's convivial for you too. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. My lessons from Audrey Tang. One, when you host a party, you set the ground rules. How many folks are in the room? Are they allowed to throw stones at each other? You can shape or manipulate human behavior for good or for bad through your design choices. Two, it's easy to put different ideas into different camps and say, ah, they can never agree. But don't be afraid to see consensus where it exists ever so slightly. It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be good enough. Three, lots of humans are broken, missing the tools to build healthy relationships. If you can understand why, it can help you to cope with them and maybe even navigate such people going forward. So empathize with bullies. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull, Hina Shrivastava, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our intern is Sylvia Goodman. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If you like what you heard, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or share it. Nothing like word of mouth. Tell me what you think. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Arthi411. 
A-A-R-T-I 411. For exclusive offers, you can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter at wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.